will dismiss our children to go to children's church, those that are four years old through first grade. Miss Lauren and Brother Justin are at the back. Y'all can head back to go with them. Thank you very much, Brother Shane and praise team. What a wonderful job this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I will also invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are drawing to a close our time in 1 Corinthians. We were there this summer. I know that we didn't cover the whole book. I intend for us to come back sometime and maybe be able to go through the entire book verse by verse. But we just have this week and next week that we'll finish up 1 Corinthians. But this morning we're going to look at what is probably one of my four or five favorite texts to preach or to sit and think on or to teach in a Sunday school setting and discuss. Um, and it's right up there with the last few chapters of the book of Job, with Ephesians 2, Romans 3, 6, 8, the book of Revelation. Just This text is it's not only beautiful, but it's pivotal. The text that we're going to see today and what Paul is teaching us here, he is giving us some theological doctrinal basis, understanding that, uh, that we can all grasp and all understand, and we all must grasp, and we all must understand. The more we understand it and the more we think on it, uh, the more, I think, like Christ we will be and the more like Christ we will want to be. The more secure we will feel, even in a world that doesn't seem secure. So today, if you would look with me in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to begin by reading verse 12. We'll look at parts of the whole chapter, but we won't see all of it. We'll see the thoughts of all of it, though. But we're going to begin our time in verse 12. Paul said, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So I want to stop there for a moment and kind of give you the setting, what, what is Paul talking about here? If, if you remember, we've said this several times in the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and it's almost as if they are talking back and forth, right? They have sent correspondence to him, and they have asked questions. And so at one point he says, basically, as to your question about spiritual gifts, let me address that. And then here he's talking about, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? And this was a very typical Roman idea, right? Corinth is a province, a city in Rome. Romans, in, in their philosophical beliefs, didn't believe in the resurrection of dead people. They didn't believe that dead people would or could come back to life. They had other beliefs about uh, people after they died, but this is the main one that's pivotal for us to understand this text. Romans and probably some of these Corinthians, from what we see here, didn't believe that it was possible for anyone, after they had died, to come back to life in that same body. They had no understanding of that. There was no way that you could convince them of that. And so Paul here is, is asking them the question, how can some of you say that there's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead, that no dead people can come back to life in that same body because... If you're saying that, then what you are saying is that a basic tenet of Christian belief is false. If you say that no person, no matter who they are, 
could ever die and then in that same body come back to life, then you are saying that Christianity and all of its teachings are a lie because a pivotal teaching of Christianity is that God, in the form of Jesus, right? Jesus, who is 100% God, who has always been 100% God, who will always be 100% God, came to earth and was also 100% man, right? We don't, it's hard for us to understand if any of us could understand exactly what that is like, but it's true. This, this person that was really a man was also really God, and he really died, right? On the cross, while paying the penalty for our sins, Jesus died wasn't breathing, his heart wasn't beating, he was really dead, he was put in a tomb, and then, not some, some spirit ghost form of Jesus came back to see them, but the teaching of Christianity is that that same man, that same body, a few days later, began to breathe, and the heart began to beat again, and Jesus, in a way that he could be seen, and could be touched, and could be heard, came back to life. And so we believe that, that Jesus really died and really came back to life. But if they're saying that there's no way that anyone could do that, then what Paul's saying is if nobody can do that, then Jesus didn't do that. And if Jesus didn't do that, then Christianity is a lie. And so then... He, in the next few verses, verses 14 through 18, he takes that line of thinking and says, let's just look at some of the implications of this hypothesis. Your, your hypothesis is that no person that dies could come back to life. If that's what you believe, let's, let's talk about some of the implications of that. So look with me in verse 14 as Paul kind of lays out some of these things. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain... And your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So I count... By my count, there are five major implications that Paul lays out here. You could come up with others, but Paul gives us five implications here of, of this hypothesis. If it's true, the first one he gives us there in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And now that makes sense, doesn't it? If, if what we are preaching, or you say, Brother Zach, you're the only one that's preaching, but if our teaching, if our proclaiming, if our evangelism, if our telling, if all of that is centered around Jesus, right? When you're teaching Sunday school classes, when you're teaching your children about the truths of the Bible, whenever you are sharing with a co-worker about how it is that they can be saved, if all of that is based around the idea that faith in Jesus Christ can change not only our lives now, but our eternity... That, that this man paid the penalty for our sins and died and came back to life and he's overcome sin and he's overcome death and now when we believe in him, we have overcome sin and we have overcome death. If that's what we're teaching and preaching and proclaiming, but it's not true, then our teaching and preaching 
and telling and sharing is a waste of time. It's a waste of your time, and it's a waste of my time. Now, sometimes some of you think that while I'm preaching, I am wasting your time. But what I'm saying is that every bit of it would be a waste of time. No use in it. If Jesus is dead, then quit telling about Jesus. He's just another man that lived and died and is gone. Paul says, if, if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain, useless. He continues there in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And that, again, follows along the same lines, right? Our faith, if, our, if we are completely persuaded by what we feel is conviction from the Holy Spirit that, that we are sinners and that we are lost and that we need to be saved and, and we are, are completely certain that we have responded in faith and that we are children of God and that we have been born again. If, if you have faith that that is true and you believe that and you believe that that is real and you believe it to the point that, that you change how you use your finances and how you use your free time, and how you are a husband or wife, and how you interact with your children, and how you interact with others. If you believe it so much that you base your whole life around this faith in Jesus, but Jesus is just another dead man, then your faith is in vain. Your faith is useless. Again, it's a waste. It's not helping you and it's not helping anybody else. If Jesus is dead, then believing in Jesus would be just like believing in George Washington, right? We believe that he was real, but if you believe that because you believe in him that your eternity will be different, then brothers and sisters, you're in trouble. And Paul says, well, if Jesus is still dead, then the same thing is true for him. Preaching is in vain and faith is in vain. In verse 15, he says, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. So again, he says, look, if you're saying God raised Jesus from the dead, we say that, right? We believe that. We sang about it this morning. We believe that God, whenever Jesus was dead in the tomb, resurrected him, that God brought Jesus back to life. And if you say that, but God didn't really do that, you were lying, right? If I say that Brother Dusty got up and came up here this morning very early and turned on the air conditioners and the lights and unlocked the doors, but he didn't do that, did you? Then I'm lying. I'm lying about Brother Dusty. And if you say God raised Jesus from the dead, but Jesus is still dead, then you are lying and not just lying, you're lying about God. So now Paul is showing it's going from, it's going from bad to worse. Right, because if Jesus is still dead and our preaching is useless, well, it's just a waste of time. And if our faith, our faith is useless, then it's just a waste of time. But now it's gone from just being a waste of time to being something that's detrimental. We are lying about God. And brothers and sisters, you don't want to be found lying about God. So it's getting worse here. He continues and he brings up again that idea of Christ is not raised. Verse 17, another implication. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And we've talked about this a little bit, but I think that Paul's really driving home the point here that if Jesus is still dead, then you are guilty, and I am guilty. 
because we have sinned, and there's only one way that we can have sins taken away. You agree with that? The only way that we can have our sins taken away is through having faith in Jesus, who is God that left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and came back to life. If we believe in Him, if that's true and we believe and have faith in Him, then we are made one with Him and because He is perfect, God looks at us as perfect. Because He paid the penalty, our sins are forgiven. It's the only way sins can be forgiven. So He says, if that didn't happen then you're still guilty. And that means that one day we're all headed to hell forever. If Christ is still dead, then we're still lost and nobody's coming to save us. There is no hope. The last one, the fifth one that I see here, if Christ is still dead, verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You want to talk about preaching being useless. If Jesus is still dead, then all of the things that I've preached at every funeral that I've ever helped preach were useless. As I told this families, these families from 1 Thessalonians 4, that yes, we mourn, but we don't mourn like people who have no hope. We mourn like people who have hope. But if Jesus is dead, there is no hope. All of our loved ones that have died will at very best just be gone, right? If Jesus is still dead, then we would just have to hope that the atheists are correct, that this life is all there is, and wherever we die, it's just blank nothing. We'd have to hope for that, because the two choices, if Christ is still dead, are either that's going to happen, we die and we're just gone forever, or the other teaching in the Scriptures take place, and that all of our loved ones that died are in hell, paying the penalty for their sins, because they died as guilty people. Those are the two choices. They perished, as Paul says here. So verse 19, he kind of sums up all of these things, right? All of these terrible points that would be true if Jesus is not alive. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He says that, that if Jesus' resurrection is something that we've just made up to make ourselves feel better, I can remember whenever I was a, a kid, and sometimes I would be scared. You know, I was laying in the bed at night, and it was dark, and sometimes I'd watch a scary movie or something. And I can remember thinking, y'all going to laugh, that's okay. Y'all have laughed at me before, you'll laugh at me again. I can remember thinking, as I would look at the door or the window or the closet, that I would say, all right, there's a force field right there. And nothing bad can get in here because there's a force field. You know what? It made me feel better. And I was able to go to sleep without being scared. And Paul says here, if Jesus being alive is some force field that we have made up so that we don't have to be scared and so that we don't have to be depressed, he says, we are most all to be pitied. If Jesus' resurrection is just some dream that we have dreamed up to make ourselves feel better, for the few years that we're here live on this earth, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Point one, if Christ is not raised, then all hope is lost. As Paul says it here, he doesn't write it this way, but it's because he's not from Mississippi. If Paul was from Mississippi, I think verse 19 would say, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then bless our hearts. Because it ain't good. 
It ain't good. There's no other way to say it than if Jesus is dead, all hope is lost. Nothing that we're doing is useful. Nothing that we're doing is meaningful. Our lives don't have purpose. If Jesus is dead, then just go make as much money as you can and, and enjoy life as much as you can because when you die, it's all going to be over. There's no big picture that we're a part of if Jesus is still dead. So I know whenever I teach this, kind of when I get to this point, like I can see on your faces, like we grow weary in hearing all of these terrible things, right? Thinking about our loved ones having died with no hope and thinking about us still being guilty sinners. But stop for just a moment and don't be sad because listen to what he says in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. So we don't have to be sad because all of the what-ifs, those five what-ifs that we just talked about, those implications if the hypothesis that Jesus is dead, all those terrible things, they are not true because in fact Jesus is alive. And brothers and sisters, that's good news. That is something for us to be excited about. So this fact, this changes everything. Everything is different because Jesus is alive. Because he really died and really came back to life, so many things have changed. And look back with me at the beginning of this chapter. I want to read to you Paul's personal account of Jesus' resurrection. We'll look beginning in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Paul, I mean Peter, I'm sorry, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul tells us, listen, I have met Jesus... Right? We, we know the road to Damascus. The blinding light comes down. Jesus speaks personally to Paul. He says, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus has met Paul. Paul knows who Jesus is. He has heard his voice. And Paul says, let me tell you what is real and what is true. All the things that we see in the scriptures are true. That Jesus really died like the Bible says. He was really buried. He really came back to life like the Bible says. And not, Paul's not, don't just take my word for it. He's writing to the Corinthians. This is one of the first letters, one of the earliest letters we believe written. And so he's saying, listen, go ask these other people because they saw it. They've seen Jesus after he came back to life. He says, go ask, go ask Peter. Go ask any of the apostles, go ask the 500 brothers that were there. Go ask James. Come talk to me. I can tell you it's not a fairy tale. I've seen it with my own eyes. Jesus is alive. And that is exciting. So, point two. Christ is alive and His resurrection changes everything. 
everything. I'll be honest, I thought y'all were going to be more excited by this point. By the time we got here, I really thought you were going to be more excited than you are right now. Because this is good news. I don't, I don't preach anything else ever that's better news than this, brothers and sisters. I have nothing else for you. If this doesn't get you excited, I don't have anything for you. It's the fact that Jesus is alive and we have hope of eternal life and our faith is meaningful and our sins are taken away and that our preaching is real and sound and true and that we aren't lying about God but we are in fact telling the truth about God and we don't have to worry about, about hell because we are no longer sinners but we are righteous and perfect in God's eyes and the fact that all of our loved ones Every mother, every grandfather, every friend that you have that had faith in Christ that died is not perished, but they are in heaven with God and they'll be there forever. I have nothing better than this. This is all that I have. But the truth is, the good news is, I don't need anything else. Because this changes absolutely everything. This is good news. All of those things that I just named are changed only because of Christ. And, and Paul gives us some more here in verses 21 and 22. He says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Brothers and sisters, right? We know the story of the garden. Adam and Eve, they sin, and sin enters the world, and the curse of sin... One of the curses of sin is death, right? All things die. All people, unless Christ returns, will eventually die. And he says, because of this one man, Adam, sin has come and sin spread to everyone and death has come and death has spread to everyone. He says, but in the same way that that came through one man, through one man, life has come. Fullness of life now, eternal life to come for everyone that believes in Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the dead has come. He's telling us here that not only did Jesus take up the same body that he died in to live in it, but that's going to happen for us as well. In verse 20, he said, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He used the same word in verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. And some of you have heard me talk about this. This is one of those things that I like to share at funerals. This picture of the first fruits, and we've talked about the first fruits offering in the Old Testament. It was this offering that they would bring whenever the, the first sheaf of grain or whatever it was that they're growing came in. They would take the very first one and they would offer it as a sacrifice to God. And that's difficult to do because, right, you know you have this one, but you don't know how much more is coming. Whenever you get those first few vegetables in the garden, those first squash, those first tomatoes, those first okra, you want to eat it because you, don't, you know this grew. You don't know how much it'll grow, but you know this is here. But it's an act of faith. It's one showing that God is worthy of the best, right? The first and best that I have, God's worthy of that. But it's also showing, I believe that the only reason that this grain has grown is because God has made it to grow. And I trust that if I give this to him, that he will, he will give more. He'll bring more. It's the idea of the first fruits here. And it's the exact idea that, that Paul is playing on here. He says, Christ is the first fruit, or maybe in our language, Christ is the down payment that promises that there's more to come. 
He's the first one to have died and then take up that same body to live forever. But he's not the last one. Christ died and took up the same body to live in it. And the promise is so that all of us that believe in him will do that as well. Now, I don't know how that works. Some of you would want to ask, how is it that my loved ones, or, or people that we read about in the scriptures have been dead for thousands and thousands of years and their bodies have deteriorated? Like, How is it that God's going to put those back together? I don't know. But I know this, he's going to do it because the Bible tells us he is. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that whenever the trumpet sounds that they're going to rise first, that the dead in Christ are going to rise and meet him in the air and that we're going to be gathered with them and we'll be with the Lord forever. I don't know how it works, but I know it does work. It's the promise of Scripture. Point three, Christ's resurrection is the guarantee of ours as well. The fact that he is raised from the dead is the guarantee that you and I that believe in him will also be raised from the dead one day. So I just have two questions I want to ask you today. The first question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ really was a man. He was God and he was man at the same time and that he lived a real life without sinning and that he really did die. It wasn't some picture show. It wasn't some fake. He really died and then he really came back to life in that same body. Do you believe that? Do you believe that while he was on the cross dying that he was paying the penalty for your sins? Because this is the basic tenet. If we do not believe this, then you can't go past this. Right? This is the gospel, this is the good news that we are sinners and this is how we can be saved from our sin. But if you don't believe this, then you can't go on to doctrine and things after this. You have to believe this first. So I ask you, do you believe that? If not, do you have questions about it? Is there something that, that you would like to know more? Do you not understand it completely? I may not have explained it that well. I'd love to talk to you about it. If you have questions or concerns or, or some things I might could answer, let me know. Maybe we can look at more scripture together. Maybe you're here today and you, because of this text, you believe this truth for the first time that God has made this real and true in your heart and, and you want to come and share with all of us that you believe this. We want you to share that. We want to celebrate that with you. First question, do you believe that all of this is true? And the second question is, if you believe that all this is true, has it made all the difference in your life? Is what you preach and teach and what you talk about to your friends different because Christ is alive? Is what you believe and the way that you order your life and how you use your free time and finances and how you relate to other people, is that different because Christ is alive? Or would your life be the exact same whether Christ was alive or not? Is your hope wrapped up in the truth that Jesus is alive? Because if it's not, brothers and sisters, if we're Christians and we have faith in Christ, our life should be radically different. We should be completely different than the people that we were before. Paul refers to it as the old self and the new self. Like completely different people. So if not, I pray that you would spend some time this morning searching and asking God if you really are a Christian, if you really do have faith in Him, if you really believe what you say that you believe. And if you do, but there are just some things that you need to change, I pray that you'd be willing to do that. Repent and change those things that we need to change. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. And we're going to have a time of invitation, time for you to respond. Uh, as our praise team comes this, this morning, we're going to sing, Because He Lives. Uh, what a fitting song we thought this would be. Because 
he lives, I can face tomorrow, right? Because he lives, all fear is gone. We're going to sing that this morning. And if you need to pray, then you pray. And if you have questions or things or want somebody to pray with you, come and I will do that. But if you can truthfully sing this, because you believe it with all your heart, then sing it like you believe it with all your heart. But you respond however the Lord calls you to. As Brother Shane.